One thing she talks about on page 16 is tallying. <laughs> as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh man, I'm in trouble. Because it says, if you find yourself in bed at night tallying what has been lost to you, you need to let go of that list. Lay them down, give them freely, don't count them as stolen. I don't know if you've ever tallied up from the day all of the ways that you've been wronged or all of the ways that you weren't able to get things done or how people treated you and all the things that you did for others. Am I the only one? Okay. Welcome to Book Therapy. I'm your host, Kim Patton. There's no way to count how many books are floating around in this world. Some are decent, some are truly terrible, and some are great. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into one great book. Together, we will discover gems of truth and encouragement to help you face your current season of life. I'm ready. You're ready. Let's get this party started. Hello, hello, friends. Thank you so much for joining me here today. The book we are talking about is actually a sequel. I wanted to encourage you to go back to episode 10. It's called Dang Hard Seasons of Life, <laughs> Loving the Little Years by Rachel Jankovic. That episode is so far the most popular. It obviously speaks to you all. So thank you for listening, first of all, and I hope you enjoy today's episode because it's another book by the same author. Let's dive into the book. Today is a sequel. It's by Rachel Jankovic called Fit to Burst, Abundance, Mayhem, and the Joys of Motherhood. She is the author of Loving the Little Years. Not only has she written more books, but she has grown her family significantly in the time that she started writing. She now has eight kids. Her little baby boy was just born in December, and then she has an 18-year-old. So she's very busy, and she still has many more little years to go. The reason I chose this book, Fit to Burst, is it's short and small, just like Loving the Little Years, but packed full with all kinds of stories and wisdom and biblical guidance, as well as humor and definitely truth bombs. She's really good at pinpointing what our greatest temptations are in this life and how to wrestle with them and how to surrender them, honestly, to the Lord. I've learned a lot in both of her books, and honestly, her snarky attitude does kind of um, put me off sometimes. You know, we don't like to be told what to do, but she's, she's not really telling me what to do. She's just saying the truth in a way that is difficult to wrap my arms around sometimes. I really want to hold on to bitterness and anger and envy and discontentment. It just seems more fair to hold on to those little sins. And it's not really fun being called out. But she says in both of her books, I am writing this to myself as much as to you. If something in this book strikes a little close to home for you, know that it has struck in my home first. I believe that. I believe her. I believe that she has been in the trenches for so long that she knows our greatest temptations and she's offering us a little bit of help. I also appreciate that she is constantly encouraging us to get to the heart of the matter and get to the truth. And in order to get to the truth, we kind of have to 
scrape away a lot of lies. My first episode on her book, Loving the Little Years, is the number one downloaded episode. It's episode 10. And this book, I felt like, was similar content, the same vein, the same tone, and I, I hope that it helps you like it has helped me. We're going to talk about three metaphors that she uses. The first one is we are running a race. She starts the book with wonderful clarity that this mentality of sacrifice is what makes up the Christian life. She says on page 13, scripture is very clear on this. If you seek to be full, give. The verse about the first being last and the last being first is not talking about how all the winners will be losers at the end. Rather, this verse is talking about those who seek their own interests first. Those who put themselves first above others will be the last. Those who value themselves the least will be the most valued. There isn't any way to do this other than the hard way. I'm glad she started off the book this way because it's really easy to get selfish about our lives and think about what we deserve and what we need and what we want. And if there are other people in our lives who are very needy, We can get focused on all of their needs and keep thinking that because we're putting ourselves last, we're miserable. Again, self-care is always a tricky thing. So I don't think you should put yourself last to where you're not taking care of yourself. However, it is a life of sacrifice. It is a life of giving. She says on page 15, in the giving, we are given great joy, great satisfaction, and great fulfillment in the task. When you empty yourself for others, God fills you up. So running this race is a lifelong journey and it takes form in whatever your calling is. Everyone in their calling is called to sacrifice and put others first. One thing she talks about on page 16 is tallying. (laughs) As soon as I saw that, I was like, oh man, I'm in trouble. Because it says, if you find yourself in bed at night tallying what has been lost to you, you need to let go of that list. Lay them down, give them freely, don't count them as stolen. I don't know if you've ever tallied up from the day all of the ways that you've been wronged or all of the ways that you weren't able to get things done or how people treated you and all the things that you did for others. Am I the only one? Okay. There is a cost to serving Christ. You do lose things, but in the losing, you gain so much more. I don't love how she talks about obedience over and over and over again. And again, I'm just being honest. This is just something that grates against me. But obeying Christ is going to bring fruit. And and that's where the pain is. There's pain in obeying, but it's less than the pain that we would have if we disobeyed. She says on page 97, prioritizing obedience in the face of stress is a wonderful way to disarm it. She makes things very clear. What are you supposed to be doing? What is your calling? And I've seen this in my life recently, especially. I might treat others poorly because of the way I'm feeling or because of that day's situation. However, my behavior towards others is more important to pay attention to than than anything else because if i get to the end of the day and i have thrown other people under the bus that's a problem 
I can't trump situations and my feelings over the way I treat people. I'm going to make mistakes. Obviously, we all do. So there's forgiveness there. There's redemption and there's grace. But I'm seeing the importance of my calling in my current season of life not to make excuses for how I treat people because of how they treat me. The second metaphor is we are not stagnant photos. This analogy tells us that we are not creatures of arrival, as she says. She talks about our need to eat, sleep, breathe. We are dependent beings and we are also repetitive beings. We all know what it looks like to see a beautiful picture. I remember flipping through magazines and seeing these beautiful couches or yards or families and just thinking, okay, that's life. You've officially arrived when your (laughs) house and your family looks like a magazine. On page 40, this is how she frames it. Real life is messy because it is going somewhere. Things constantly need to be done because people are constantly growing. Repetition should not be discouraging to us. It should be challenging. Having another chance to work on things is not a sign of failure. Having room to improve is not something to be sad about. It is something that should encourage and inspire us. God keeps giving me this to do because this is what he wants me to be doing. Oh my word. That's so true. God is giving you this to do because this is what he wants you to be doing. Besides, there's nothing like walking into a room full of people or a kitchen full of family and the smells are there, the food is out, the kids are running around. There's a sense of comfort in the chaos. There's a sense of comfort in the purpose of what you're doing. The relationships are valuable. The people around you may drive you crazy, but you love them desperately. The counters are cluttered a little bit and there's definitely a mess in the sink and on the stove. But the laughter that accompanies the meal, the desserts, all of these things, this is the beauty of fellowship. And in these moments, I find great reward and value for all of my labor. One thing she talked about in the first book, Loving the Little Years, that she also mentioned here on page 59, is the idea of breaking fellowship. She talks about with her husband how if he brings home donuts one day and she's recently said something about sugar and so this this alarm is going off in her head when she sees the box and she sees the excited kids and the proud dad and she thinks, I wouldn't have chosen that for today. She can choose to break fellowship with her husband by being snarky, (laughs) which is her specialty. Or with the kids by not allowing them to eat the donuts that their dad brought. But is that worth it? She also talks about how it is a mother's job to communicate love that the father has toward his children. I like how she says it is our job to translate. When we take the work that our husband does and turn it into fellowship around the table, he is able to enjoy both the fruit of his work and the enjoyment of his love. He provided for us and we are rejoicing in that. We can say a prayer for our food. But we can also talk with our children about where the food came from. And when we are at the grocery store, I like to say, look at all this beautiful food that God has provided for us to bring home and cook and eat. And it's just little things like that that give our kids perspective of, okay, so dad works hard or mom works hard and that money is somehow turned into (laughs) dinner. I think that's a beautiful thing. 
The last metaphor is we are in a noisy gym. Okay, I got to set this up for you because this metaphor is so cool. She's talking near the end of the book about stress. She says, it is wonderfully sanctifying when it is dealt with in a way that honors God. Give it to him, lift it up to him, let him protect you, provide for you, and give you the grace that you need. She talks about stress being worry or sinful or just the chaos of your life. There's also moments where you're feeling more emotional and so you can't exactly pinpoint what the problem is. Nothing is wrong necessarily, but you just feel stressed. I have had so many moments like this over the past three years with little kids. There's not really one thing. It's just kind of an overwhelm that encompasses my whole body and my mind and my spirit, and I feel a little paralyzed. She calls this the ambient noise of faithfulness. It's not like soothing music in the background. She says it's more like being a basketball player on the free throw line. The other team's fans are being so loud. We we have all seen a basketball game on TV or been to one in person where there's screaming and waving items of clothing. Those people are trying to make you mess up. They're trying to distract you. It's super loud. When you're on that free throw line, you have to think about what your job is. You have to stay faithful to what you're doing. You just got to make the basket. Focus and make the basket. Think about what your coach would say to you. She says, would they encourage you to really look into the noisemakers? Would they have you listen to noisemakers and practice identifying them? Would they ask you to journal about the noisemakers, asking you to really fantasize about your basketball career without them? Yeah, she takes the metaphor this far. But the point is, you practice free throws. You have something set in place. Many basketball players, you know, do the same amount of bounces, like one, two, three, look up at the basket, shoot. Stress is confusing. Stress is disorienting. But what she is encouraging is for us to focus. What has God called you to do? What is God asking you to do right now? What is the next best thing for you? It comes back to obedience, which is not a sexy word. I'm sorry. I just really don't love it. But she is right. How can I be faithful today to what God has called me to do? How can I serve others around me with clarity? And how can I hear the stress, acknowledge the stress, but choose to not focus on it? So we talked about three different metaphors. We're running a race. We are not stagnant photos. And we are in a noisy gym. Another thing I love that she talks about is the team effort that comes with being in a family. On page 103, she's setting the scene of trying to get out the door. And there are things that can prevent us from getting out the door. There are children that are doing things on purpose to slow everybody down. However, in those moments, how can we move past the blame game and be patient? How can we encourage them to obey cheerfully as we are obeying cheerfully? This really got me because I see my children do the things that I do. They imitate me, for better or for worse. My girls will say things that we say. I think Eden said freaking the other day, (laughs) and and Kevin told me about it. And I was like, I'm sorry, babe. It's just, it's going to happen. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to tell you that I'm never going to say that again. And he's like, no, it's fine. I just, I wondered, you know, where she got it because I didn't remember saying it that day. 
I was like, no, that was me. It was definitely me. (laughs) The goal is to be clear and calm. And I'm not always clear and calm, but I would like my children to be clear and calm. So it's my responsibility to model that for them. Just like they hear me say that we're thankful for the food and where it comes from and that that provision, I'd like for them to, in the face of stress, be able to focus on the task ahead of them and take deep breaths and remain calm. But in order to do that, it's my job to practice in front of them. So just to leave one more super convicting thought before we wrap up, Rachel says, discontent will never change the world. If you want your work to have a lasting impact on the world, define yourself with gratitude. Be thankful over the laundry. Be thankful when you find yourself nursing a baby in a carload of hungry children. Be full of gratitude, not only for the cute photo opportunities that will come your way as a mother, but over the accidents and snotty noses and dirty floors. Give thanks for the sticky juice rings on the counter. Give thanks for the milk spill, for the stomach virus, for the pants that are too tight after that last baby. This book was incredibly convicting. There are some moments that I read a page and I thought, man, if only I could actually implement that. But that's the cool thing about grace is I don't have to pressure myself to implement everything that Rachel says, even though I know she's right. I don't have to love everything she says, but what I can do is open my heart a little bit more to truth and pray that God will soften me and teach me as I go. Thank you for listening to another episode of Book Therapy. Today's book was Fit to Burst, Abundance, Mayhem, and the Joys of Motherhood by Rachel Jankovic. She is on Instagram if you want to check out pictures of her adorable family. She's got so many kids and her her house is just bursting with life. And so it's really fun to see that. And also she does have many other books. So if you want to read any of the other books and let me know which ones you'd recommend, I would love to hear from you. You can always email me at authorkimpatton at gmail.com or go to my website, kimpatton.com and send me a message on there. See you next time.